Denise, and welcome to the Bodybuilding Dietitians Podcast. Thank you so much for joining us today for what is now episode 120. And as always, you are joined by your hosts, Tiara and Jack. Now, before we get into today's episode, we just want to remind you as always that if you do enjoy these podcasts, please feel free to tell your family and friends about them, take a screenshot and post it to your social media stories. Tag Jack, tag myself, and tag the Bodybuilding Dietitians. Now, moving into the first question of today's Q&A, this one says, what's your best advice for bringing up weak points? Great. So we do have lots of advice for that. I don't just want your advice. I want your best advice. Well, here it comes. (laughs) And essentially, there is a lot of different things that could be the matter. And if uh, I think it's important to kind of investigate why that particular muscle group is a weak point first and then you can kind of strategize what the best method is at improving that and for example something could be a weak point or i think having a weak point is fairly synonymous with progress having stalled mm-hmm. they both can interrelate to each other uh, especially if say your your pulling movements have stalled or you're not making progress that might correlate to those muscles being a weak point mm-hmm. so maybe we should actually clarify as bodybuilders or as physique athletes, what do people mean when they say I have weak points? Mm. I think it's just uh, identifiable areas in your physique, which aren't as muscular or favorable from a body composition standpoint compared to your other muscle groups. And that could be purely due to a lack of development or it could, and this is kind of the gray area, it could also be just your muscle bellies aren't as favorable. So for example, someone uh, in terms of their abdominals, like they might not have very thick abdominals, they might only genetically have four abdominal, like a, their rectus abdominis is, is only split into four. So they, have, they can't, literally can't get a six pack. Uh, so that would be an example of unfavorable genetics versus someone whose muscle bellies are are very favorable let's say their arms like they have nice peaks in their biceps but their arms are just genuinely small and they need to bring up the the musculature there Mm -hmm. and i think it's great to clarify that because you could certainly think of a weak point as oh it's an underdeveloped muscle group Mm. or no this part of my body is genuinely weak Mm. because it can go either way there are people out there who are really freaking strong in some movements but unfortunately they don't necessarily have the muscle bellies to show for it Mm. so if someone has a phenomenal shoulder press or a phenomenal deadlift but you look at them and you're like man you look like you don't really have cap delts or it looks like you don't really have much hamstring development there but Mm. they can lift a significant amount of weight so in that case they're really strong And they don't necessarily have a weak point in that muscle group or in that movement pattern. But if you were to look at their physique, you would say, oh, your hamstrings and your delts, those are weak points for you. But it can totally be on the flip side. I know plenty of girls with phenomenal looking glutes. Like I'm talking about big glutes. And you would assume that they're really strong. And either they're not pushing themselves hard enough in the gym or those glutes, they're not actually that strong. They can't actually hip thrust that much weight. And it doesn't just go for glutes. It goes for a lot of muscle groups. But Mm. you would say that glutes 
aren't a weak point for them. <laughs> yeah, definitely. And I think we can break this down into a few different sections. Like one, I think we can even relate nutrition to this. So for example, the, the example you gave about someone who is very strong, uh, but their actual muscle groups don't correlate to that lift, potentially that's nutrition because they aren't eating enough to be in a consistent surplus. So mm. they're able to, due to their a mixture of biomechanics, strength adaptation, neurological adaptations, technical proficiency, they're able to be very strong at that movement, but because they're not increasing their body weight or potentially they are increasing their body weight or maybe they have, they're eating 50 grams of protein a day, then then they're not fueling themselves adequately to put on muscle. Mm -hmm. And because I would usually say that a good indication of someone's muscularity is their strength. And I think it is quite rare for someone to be strong at a particular movement and and not have the muscle to show to it, show mm -hmm. for it. Yeah. Okay, so going back to my glute example then, maybe that's not the best example. I mm. guess because... I think it's a good example because mm. I completely agree with you, but I think... The, especially the glutes, it's just one of those muscles where it comes back to the genetics and the muscle bellies. And I guess you also have to come down to the point of, is it actually muscle? Or does this girl just <laughs> look phenomenal in tights in her off season, but then when you actually go down to diet for a show, and if you're trying to get really lean, but you don't actually have a lot of muscle under there, then unless you just are genetically blessed and will just hold more body fat and look really peachy in that area. Mm. If you have to diet really hard, you might lose a lot of size off your glutes if you don't have the muscle bellies under there. Yeah, totally. So I guess getting into some actual tangible content for the listeners. Mm -hmm. So if we can list nutrition as one example, it's definitely not number one, but it is one opportunity to improve a weak point is make sure that you are in a consistent energy surplus the key word there is consistent. It doesn't need to be huge, mm -hmm. but uh, by giving yourself a surplus of energy, you are providing yourself with a more favorable environment to grow muscle. So if that's one example, what are some other examples to improve upon weak points? Well, I think that ultimately if we put genetics aside and we can clarify that someone is fueling themselves adequately from mm. a nutritional standpoint, it's really gonna come down to training because yeah. ultimately, your body's not going to change unless you give it a good reason to, unless you truly provide it with that stimulus. Mm. And that's going to come from training yeah. and training hard and progressively overloading over time. So mm. first I, thing, you got to identify what are your weak points. So what are the muscle bellies that you want to bring up? Is that what where we should really direct this? Kind yeah, of classify so. weak points as underdeveloped muscle groups, mm. not necessarily muscle groups that are really strong already, but they aren't growing. Yeah. Well, I think what you've just said is synonymous. So <laughs> I don't think we sh we're not directing this to strength. We're directing it to actual musculature that mm -hmm. is uh, not as muscular as other body parts. So for example, for me, it would be probably my mid to upper back. That would be a weak point for me mm -hmm. in terms of my physique. And um, what would be an example of a weak point for you? Ooh, definitely my quads. Yeah, so those are examples for us. And I guess maybe we can give some examples of how we're improving our weak points, which might help. So I think before we do that, let's kind of give some more information first. So essentially, you said it directly, it, like training is the most important factor here, which I agree with. And ultimately, I think a lot of people 
think that they're targeting their weak points when in fact they're not really mm-hmm. doing it that effectively uh, and one instance of that might be volume so I guess volume and intensity go hand in hand and for example we know that uh, each muscle group uh, you have a certain recoverability often expressed as sets per week so someone might be doing too many sets per week or they might be doing too little and the the dangers of doing too many is that uh, you reduce your recoverability and then you don't progress long term mm-hmm. because your your CNS and your muscle fatigue is, is pretty trashed all the time. And then vice versa, you're not doing enough volume to actually provide a stimulus to grow. And then there's the other end of the spectrum where uh, you're just not training hard enough. Mm-hmm. So let's let's give an example of like the lateral delts where someone might think that they're doing a lot of volume by a lot of of pressing movements like they might do a lot of shoulder pressing they might do a lot of bench press or incline bench press uh, but at the end of the day the lateral delts are going to be stimulated most in in a lateral raise Mm -hmm. so they're not doing any lateral raises and they're wondering uh, or any lateral like it could be cuff lateral raises machine lateral raises dumbbell lateral raises it could be upright rows uh, but they're wondering why their lateral delts aren't growing and if that was the case then what would you recommend this person does? Yeah, so I guess I would break that, what I just said down into separate components. So one, make sure you're doing an adequate amount of volume to facilitate recovery, train with a high intensity. So stay within around zero to three reps from failure continuously, I would say, uh, but also do a sufficient amount of volume to stimulate muscle growth, which is often like around it's often quoted around 10 to 20 sets per muscle group per week. So that's kind of volume and intensity and of course exercise selection as well. So ensuring that you're uh, using the appropriate exercises to actually target that musculature and that work well for you. So for example, if you want the lateral delts to grow and you're only doing pressing movements, then obviously incorporating different lateral exercises. For example, if you're doing uh, two push days a week, you could do a cuff lateral raise on one of those push days and then a machine lateral raise on the other of those push days. There are a lot of other little things we could say, like potentially start off your workout with a a lateral raise variant in order to prioritize that muscle group first before it fatigues uh, even slightly in some of the subsequent movements. And I think it's also worthwhile to talk about uh, a bit more about movement selection and execution as well. So for example, if a lot of people say, oh, why aren't you bench pressing? Why aren't you squatting? But those are great exercises. There's no doubt about it. But let's take you, for example. You're quite a tall individual. Mm-hmm. You have nice long legs. Why, thank you. <laughs> and the as a result of that, and due to your biomechanics, the barbell squat isn't the best exercise for you. And we've established that in the past. Mm-hmm. So you trying to barbell squat just because, because it's a good movement Uh, for the generic individual doesn't mean it's going to be good for you like for you leg pressing single leg pressing bulgarian split squats leg extension are going to be much more favorable for you uh, and has a higher stimulus to fatigue ratio so you get more stimulus out of those movements for less fatigue for for growing your quads yeah i think that's a great example and i think there's just so much merit to put into mind muscle connection if you want to progress with a movement long term but you've tried to give it a good crack but you're just honest with yourself and you're like 
man, I am just not feeling this in the Mm. primary movers. I'm doing squats every single week and not once have I actually felt them properly in my quads. Mm. Or for example, someone could be doing barbell bench and they're like, you know, I really never actually feel it in my chest, whatever it may be. So, and you raise a good point there that I think the, the pump shouldn't be the only tool Mm -hmm. because the pump is often associated with like being a bit bro Mm -hmm. or like, bro, I've got a good pump. Mm -hmm. Uh, but it definitely is a good indicator of, are you actually targeting the the required muscle group? And of course, DOMS again, shouldn't be your sole indicator of, have you had a good workout? Because it's, it's fine to not have DOMS to an extent after your workout, but having DOMS within that region is a sign that you've targeted that muscle group. Yeah, exactly. And of course it, it does come down to bro science to like, feel the muscle, you know, feel the pump. But we've spoken about this in past podcasts too, about how you need to give merit to bro science because mm. it's really bro science. Some that, merit. <laughs> some merit, but still some merit. Yeah. But it's usually what actually sparks that area of interest for yeah. researchers and scientists to go do studies. So mm. for example, if they're like, oh, you really need to feel the burn in your quads when you're on a leg press, And then scientists will be like, okay, cool. Let's get a bunch of people on a leg press, hook them up to an EMG and see if they're actually stimulating their quads. Mm, Definitely. Hey guys, just a reminder that we post regular informative content on both our Instagram and YouTube channel. So make sure to go over to those platforms and search The Bodybuilding Dietitians. See you there. And I think let's, um, I'll break it down a little bit for for my weak point or one of my weak points, which is my upper back. And cause I've done this very recently after comp, I've restructured my training to prioritize that muscle group. And I've kind of taken into combination everything I've said. So one, I've reduced my total volume for my back. So I'm doing two working sets for most of my uh, heavier compound lifts. And that's to ensure that I can take those to a close to failure or to failure and still be able to recover. The second point is I'm ensuring to do exercise selections that actually target my upper back. And this is where I've gone wrong in the past where I've done like a a traditional single arm dumbbell row with my elbow tucked into my side and expected that to target my upper back when Mm. in reality, it's more of a lap dominant movement. So for example, I've altered that movement now to do a flared elbow position, which is going to target my uh, rhomboids a lot more. And I've also incorporated other more direct upper back work like shrugs, or even I do these shrugs on a 45 degree angle as well, which incorporates more of the lower traps and the rhomboids. So that's exercise selection, that's volume, that's intensity. And then of course, execution as well. So ensuring that I actually perform the movement well and that they target the requisite muscle group. And I guess an example of that is I tried doing like a machine row with my elbows flared it just felt rubbish. It kind of hurt my rotator cuff, uh, not badly, but it just felt uncomfortable. So that's when I switched to the dumbbell row with the elbow flared and it, it worked a lot better. So that's uh, kind of, if I had to summarize, putting more volume towards that muscle group, I'm choosing specific exercises for that muscle group and I'm ensuring that I can train hard and still do a sufficient amount of volume. So uh, there's no supersets, drop sets. Are they really going to help grow a, a, a lagging muscle group? Not really. It just comes back to the fundamentals and actually structuring those fundamentals to 
prioritize those mm-hmm. those weaker areas. Yeah. Ultimately, if you want something to grow, you have to train it. Yeah. But you have to approach that training in a very intelligent and specific manner. Mm. And that's the great thing about being bodybuilders is that it gives us a unique opportunity when we do compete and get really complimenting to truly strip it all back and actually identify, quote unquote, what are our weak points Mm. and then going into a improvement season following that then we can structure our training around you know specifically bringing up those areas and allocating more volume to those areas but we can also identify our strengths too because guys there is a total limit of volume that you can do right Mm. you can't do 50 sets for every single muscle group every single week because just good luck <laughs> uh, no matter who you are superhuman or not like you're not going to be able to sustain that for long so if you're going to give more volume to a specific muscle group then something else has to give too. like mm. you have to take it away from somewhere else yeah and i guess in my instance like i've taken the leg volume down because i know that's fairly favorable for me so mm-hmm. again like on a hack on a rdl i'm only doing two sets even on a hip thrust i'm only doing two sets Yeah. Yeah. And same for me. I've identified that my back is probably one of my strengths. So I've not significantly, but I've definitely lowered my back volume. And then I allocate more volume in order to grow my quads and my delts, my abs, so on. Awesome. Yeah. So hopefully that was a slightly jumbled but comprehensive answer. (laughs) Okay. So moving on to this next question, this one says... Is it okay to eat more than two pieces of fruit per day? No. No? No? (laughs) Okay, I'm in big trouble. (laughs) We're both in big trouble. Yes, we are. But I love this question because I actually get asked it by my clients quite often because, you know, when you're doing consults with people during their weekly check-ins and they maintain their weight, you know, and you want to put up their food, you're like, okay, cool. Let's put up carbs by 25 grams this week. And I always go through there in my fitness pal with them and I help them strategize for how are we going to do that? And I just love looking at people's food and being like, yeah, let's, let's add in some more fruit. And then a common response I get is, but I'm already eating two pieces per day. Like mm. I, I'm already having two pieces of fruit. Like, is that okay? Mm. And we're here to tell you it is perfectly fine to <laughs> eat fruit. Fruit's good stuff. Yeah. The only reason I would say uh, don't go beyond the current amount of fruit that you're eating is if it starts to compromise your other nutritional intake. Mm-hmm. So if you're having 10 pieces of fruit per day and and maybe one serve of whole grains, then obviously you should be prioritizing your whole grains a bit more than your fruit. Yeah. And that we can make this same analogy for all of the guidelines. And that's one of the downsides or it kind of is the fault of how the guidelines are distributed to the general population is that they're distributed very poorly if people don't understand that it's 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 a minimum not really a maximum and mm-hmm. the maximum really corresponds more with your total energy intake and as i said like are you having an adequate amount of each nutrient or or food group i should say so like again for example for dairy like are you only allowed a certain amount of dairy or can i not have that extra scoop of yogurt <laughs> yeah. yeah so with the dietary guidelines 
The reason why they're there is so that you can achieve your micronutrient targets mm. and so that you can achieve the average energy needs based off the average male or female here in the population. Even that's up in the air. Who's average <laughs> these days? Yeah. But they, they are minimum. So for example, the recommendation is to consume two serves of fruit five to six serves of vegetables, two and a half serves of dairy, two and a half serves of lean protein, and so on. You can look these things up on the internet. Mm. But when it comes to these guidelines, these are minimums. They yeah. are not maximums. So a, a common one that's also, I hear a lot is fiber. Like, mm. uh, is it okay to go above, because it's 25 grams for females, 30 grams for males. Mm. Like, yes, you can, of course you can go over the fiber amounts. And if anything, to a certain extent, like having a high, higher fiber intake, and I'm talking about more like 30 to 50 grams, going above 50 or going above 75 grams, which I think we do and may or may <laughs> not currently do, is more just because we have very high energy intakes and we prioritize whole grains still currently. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you could, if anything, a higher fiber intake is indicative of a more nutritious diet yeah because, assuming you're not consuming a lot of protein bars and supplements yeah because where do we get fiber from we get it from plants mm. so generally you're eating more plant-based diet which you get a bunch of ticks for that in our books mm. like if someone was consuming 10 grams of fiber a day i can pretty much guarantee that their diet is not overly nutritious mm-hmm. so in that case hell yeah please get in more than two pieces of fruit <laughs> yeah and what how would you recommend i like i i'm prompting you i assume you know where i'm going with this but if people do want to check like their micronutrient intake or like their fairly accurate fiber intake where would they go well there's a few different things for here so one if you're using, if you're tracking on MyFitnessPal, definitely using NutTab entries. Or mm. if you can't find something under NutTab, use USDA. Or you can just look up the. It's not NutTab anymore, is it? It's the Australian Nutrient Database. I think we talked mm-hmm. about it last week, but yeah, I just I always remember it as NutTab. But if you really want to nerd out on your micronutrients mm. and have very accurate tracking. I would actually recommend ditching my fitness pal and actually tracking on chronometer. So well, I, I would just use it for uh, one-off days. Like if I wanted to check my current uh, routine of eating, I would go to chronometer and do mm-hmm. it. Like I, I think my fitness pal is just so user-friendly. It's hard to say no to it. Yeah. Okay. Well, maybe don't ditch it, but maybe <laughs> you can you can play around with both. But chronometer is really cool. So yeah, mm. look up chronometer, and essentially you can just enter in your food. We're not food even sponsored. Doc. No, we're not, <laughs> and we don't actually even use it. We do use my fitness pal. Yeah. Man, I don't know why I don't use chronometer because I could really nerd out with that. Do they have entries for like everything? Like, Not everything. That's yeah. the one downside. Like my fitness pal is definitely a heck of a lot more comprehensive. Mm. But with that comprehensiveness of more entries, you yeah, have a lot confusion. more inaccuracies because <laughs> yeah. people just go wild and enter in anything. Yeah. Chronometer, I think, is a, a lot more regulated mm. and chronometer is a lot more accurate, but there's fewer entries mm. so if you're eating some sort of wacky food or packet it might not be on chronometer yeah but the cool thing about chronometer is that it does actually calculate how many vitamins and minerals and all of these phytonutrients and stuff that you're consuming per day and then once you put in your data like your age your height your weight and it bases off like what your specific recommendations are and your gender too uh, so chronometer is really cool for that. If you actually want to check 
whether or not you're meeting your micronutrient needs. Yeah, I, I've used it once, I think. So like I'm, well, I'm fairly confident that I'm reaching my micronutrient need, mm-hmm. needs, but it's, it's always neat to see like, okay, I'm, I'm slightly under for zinc or I need to eat a bit more beans in order to get my magnesium up a little bit. Mm-hmm. So it is, uh, and it might be eye-opening for a lot of our listeners to, to realize they're, they're good to go or they're quite deficient. Yeah, so chronometer is pretty darn neat. That, mm. that actually almost encourages me to go on there and <laughs> double check that I am adequately consuming all of my micros. Mm, certainly. <laughs> but when it comes to fruit, so yes, you can certainly consume more than two pieces per day. And according to the Australian Dietary Guidelines, a serving of fruit is 150 grams of fresh fruit. And I'm going to actually be totally honest with you guys right now. I consume a lot of fruit. I actually went through, because before we saw this question, I went through my my fitness pal for today. Jack, guess how much fruit I'm eating today? <laughs> uh, in grams? Yes. Yeah, so you can do it in grams, but it might be more mm. than grams. Well, in, well, you're kind of giving it away. Well, I'm guessing 1.35 kilos. 1.5 kilograms <laughs> of fruit and 1.5 kilograms of fruit. If you divide that by 150, it equates to 10 servings of fruit. But if I, I actually counted up all of the single items and I'm consuming 11 pieces of fruit wow. today. Yeah. But I love this stuff, you know, straight after comp, the actual first place that we went shopping was Sam Coco's <laughs> and it was so nice to just have a higher carbohydrate target Yeah, we went to the cheesecake factory right after that (laughs) for your uh for your post show uh youtube day yeah yeah but to actually go to sam coco's post show and to have a higher carbohydrate target and i'm like cool i don't just have to go for the candy melons and the oranges i can get pears and big apples and all of these different types of fruit full of a lot more carbs but yeah on average i have 11 pieces per day and i eat 10 servings and I feel really good. I'm happy. I'm pretty healthy. (laughs) Got to double check on chronometer. (laughs) Yeah. Hey guys, just a reminder that we offer coaching services, which you can find on our website by searching the bodybuilding dietitians on Google or via the show notes below. We coach anyone with a health and fitness related goal. In the morning, I have a banana in my protein cake, and then I usually have a pear or apple. I also have an orange and I also have a tomato. I actually have three tomatoes per day, and tomatoes are technically a fruit, right? Uh, I think so, according to the I think, scientific definition. Yeah. <laughs> it's a flowering plant or something. Yeah, and I think I even looked it up once. I think like green beans are also flowering plants, so mm. technically green beans are... Well, zucchinis have flowers, I think. Yeah, so. and so do avocados. Like, avocados are a fruit. Mm. Yeah, so it's not just the sweet stuff, <laughs> but I have a tomato in the morning as well, so that's a banana a tomato, an orange, and an apple or a pear. So that's four. And then at lunchtime, I have another banana in another protein cake. And then I also have another tomato and I have usually another type of apple. So like in the morning, I might have a pink lady. And then at lunchtime, I might have a Granny Smith. And then at lunch, instead of an orange, I will have a grapefruit. And then in the afternoon, I usually have another banana and another protein cake. And then I have some pineapple or some strawberries in my ice cream. And then at dinner time, I have another tomato. So turns out to be like around 1.5 kilograms (laughs) of fruit matter. (laughs) Wow. Yeah, it's pretty nuts. But how much do you have per day? 
Definitely not that much because I like to, interestingly, I like to mix my fruit in with things. I don't often consume fruit by itself. Mm -hmm. Very, very rarely, in fact. And so in breakfast, I have 150 grams of blueberries. I have a Granny Smith apple, which is around 200 grams. And then I have a banana, which is around 100 grams. So that equals about... Is that 450? Yeah, around there. So it's around like technically three servings of fruit. Yeah, so Mm -hmm. about just under a third of what you eat and burn. But on your rest days, you have been getting amongst like 500 gram bags of strawberries sometimes. Mm. Yeah, I do. That's one thing that I've carried over from prep just because I I really like ice cream and on my higher days, can't really fit that in too easily. So it's uh, it's enjoyable to to have that on the the lower carb days. Yeah, I don't know if I've ever seen you actually eat a piece of fruit like just as a snack or something like that. I don't know why. I just get so much satisfaction from being able to like peel an orange into segments or dice up an apple or something like. Mm. It's just I love fruit. Yeah, I think we've answered this one really well. It's just of course you can eat more than two serves of fruit. Uh, the 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 other considerations to take is that. Are you having enough of all the other food groups within the day and mm-hmm. are you staying within your energy budget? But if you are, then yeah, go for it. Yeah, because I remember back when I was in high school, like 16 years old, and I had a very warped idea of nutrition. I remember standing in the kitchen one day and I was just to my dad, I was like, I am so hungry. I was like shaking. And he said, I just went to the market, you know, like I bought some plums, have some fruit. And I was like, just adamant. I was like, no, I've already had two pieces today. <laughs> like, don't you understand? I can't eat that two, plum. Two pieces, not even two servings. Oh gosh. Uh, I was like, I've had my green apple and my banana. I'm not allowed to eat plums for the next 24 hours. <laughs> but my dad, the marine biologist, <laughs> he, he obviously had some sort of dietetics knowledge in him because eight years later, now as a dietitian, I'm taking his advice. Just have a piece of fruit. <laughs> so we, we can finish on this smaller question and this one says do you guys struggle to drink enough water in the colder months of the year oh this is a good one yeah well do you struggle jack it's it's definitely harder i'm not gonna lie but i wouldn't say i struggle and it's kind of like someone asking do you struggle to brush your teeth or mm-hmm. do you struggle to train they're they're both uh, ingrained habits now. And if I know that I haven't had, like, I know after this podcast, I'm going to walk to the sink, fill up my liter thing of water and just down that. Mm -hmm. And I guess I have the habits ingrained in order to do that and, and know that I, I like to get in around four liters of, of fluid total per day. And then on top of that, I get my fruits and vegetables and other whole grains, which, uh, are all have a high hydration capacity. So, Mm Uh, a few little tips would be, if you can, just down some water, chug it. <laughs> and that's what I do whenever I get up or whenever I'm behind a bit. Or find some more palatable options for you to drink. And that's, I think that's where you maximize that a lot. Mm, yeah, well, I think you're absolutely right. Building those habits. Like, mm. first thing when you wake up, hydrate. Yeah. Like, like Eric Trexler says, right? Like, wake up, get hydrated, and stay hydrated. Because 
Guys, the reason why, one, when you go to the bathroom in the morning and your pee is like fluorescent as flips and it probably smells a, a little bit, and then you step on the scale and you're at the lightest that you will probably be all day, most likely, unless you further dehydrate <laughs> yourself, is because that's when you are actually the most dehydrated at any point during the day. Mm. So You would hope. Yeah. Well, unless like, yeah, you go out for a run or you go into the sauna and you sweat a whole bunch more, do some Bikram yoga. But... First thing when you wake up in the morning, generally that's when you are the most dehydrated. So you do need to start to hydrate. So you and I have both had this habit ingrained for us for years and years. After you brush your teeth, like you go to the sink and you get a big glass of water, like at least 500 milliliters of water and just down that. And then have- You're one of those weird people who brush their teeth before breakfast. Like I have never understood that. Because you've just woken up from like, you know, drooling on your pillow and- Fair enough. <laughs> like, but then, then when you drink after you brush your teeth and you're just swallowing all that residual toothpaste in your mouth. Uh, very residual. <laughs> like I try to spit out as much as I can, but no, when I wake up in the morning, like I want to brush my teeth, you know, mm. I want a clean mouth and then have my water. And then like, what are you supposed to drink coffee on top of a mouth that doesn't have teeth brushed? Yeah, of course. I do it every day. Oh, <laughs> it probably doesn't taste as good. Well, I, I still, anyway, we're getting signed. I still brush my teeth twice to three times a day just yeah. to put it out there. Okay. Yeah. So Jack <laughs> does actually have very, very nice teeth. They're quite white. Uh, but anyway, first thing when you wake up, guys, go and drink some water. I'd say half a liter minimum, a liter if you can. For example, what I do is I fill up my big 500 ml coffee mug with water while the kettle's boiling, and then I pour another 500 mils in after that. So I've got a liter of water and coffee in mm. me by 6 a.m. Yeah. Yeah. And just build the habit of at what time during the day you're going to have a cup of tea, you're going to have a cup of coffee, mm. or you're going to drink this whole bottle of water when you're at the gym or when you're at your desk at work. Like mm. build that into your routine. And then it's quite simple. But yep. if you don't like plain water, you don't just have to drink plain cold water, especially in the winter if plain cold water is cold. Have some tea. Mm. Have it is a misconception that uh, only water contributes to your water intake, but mm. it, it's your it's basically any fluids that you drink. Like the only obviously there are exclusions like alcohol, mm -hmm. uh, but technically mm. it does. Techni yeah, but it I probably mean, I would exclude it though. Personally, I wonder what the ratio would be though. Like, because obviously we know alcohol is a diuretic. So when you drink it, your body tries to get rid of it because it's mm. literally a poison. But I wonder what the ratio is because like, if you were to drink a whole entire beer, would your body want to exclude all of that beer plus more? Or like if you were to just have a shot, would you exclude more than 70 mils that was in that shot? Yeah, you're asking the wrong person. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know either. Just something that popped into my head. Maybe someone can do the math for us. Yeah. Well, I mean, we could always do an... Ex no, I wouldn't really want to Bottom take line, a shot. Just bottom line, alcohol ain't for hydration. Yo. Yeah. <laughs> so basically what I was saying is that it's not just your water, tea, coffee, uh, your protein shake, pre-workout, mm -hmm. whatever it might be. Uh, that's going to contribute to your hydration capacity. And as Tierra said, utilizing certain things like tea and I, I definitely utilize even instant coffee sometimes. And I think the other important point to mention is that like, let's say you are behind on your water intake, chugging two liters, it's not quite the same. It's mm. important to stay hydrated throughout the day. And uh, because what will happen is if you just drink two liters, it's going to come straight out. Yeah. So, 
Yeah, yeah especially at night. Like, you might be up all night peeing. Mm. But, like, that doesn't mean just call it quits and be like, oh, I'll just stay dehydrated. Meet it halfway. Like, yeah. have a reasonable amount of water. Maybe have 500 mils. Mm. And if you're still thirsty, have a little bit maybe a few minutes later or half an hour later. Again, mm. you don't have to do these things all at once. Yeah. <laughs> like, give yourself a little bit of time. And I think the one to end on for me is this is always the stereotypical answer to people who don't drink enough, but literally get yourself a one to two liter bottle and just fill it up one or like either four times a day or twice a day. Mm -hmm. And you've consumed four liters plus whatever else you drink. So it's just such a good way of establishing that habit because like if we see something that needs to be ticked off and it's easily representable in the form of a water bottle, mm-hmm. it, you would be surprised at how how quickly that habit builds up. Mm-hmm. Or make it fun too. Like, you know, you can go to Kmart and get those like fun sippy cups that have the straws and... Mm, very yeah. fun. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's more fun than just your plain old glass. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, guys, wake up, get hydrated and stay hydrated. Cool. So we'll end on the final question, which is something that we learned this week. So do you want to kick it off or shall I? I can kick it off this week. What I learned is how to master my own craft. And I feel like you and I are just always continuing to master our own crafts with our food, even though we eat very similar things every single day. And we've been eating these things for years on end. But God, we just keep finding ways (laughs) to make it better and better. So with my VPA egg whites, I've been eating those almost every single day for what, like four years now mm. or something. I love my VPA egg white omelets, but in the past to flavor them, I've always just traditionally put on herbs and spices, like things like Italian pepper, smoky paprika, salt, pepper, and then like melt blue cheese on top, which is really good too. But this past week I discovered putting mustard on my eggs and it tastes so freaking good. Like whole mustard seeds it's just incredible so like oh wow mustard on my eggs it's it's really nice so that's that's what i learned this week mm. at how to master my own craft and make a new flavor um I'm have lie. you ever tried hot english mustard no i haven't you Maybe. like that's um it's kind of if i had to describe the flavor it's like normal mustard but it's it's almost like you know when you swallow some pepper the wrong way and it goes up your nose a little bit. <laughs> it's like very uh, stimulatory to the to the nasal tract. Mm, I think I might just stick with my mustard <laughs> for now. This doesn't sound too enticing. Mm, good, yeah. I mean, I might buy it for you and I'll, I'll eat it if you don't eat it. So. I'm not gonna lie though. This is one of my favorite things about actually working from home, is that you can eat these types of foods throughout the day and your clients are never going to smell your breath. Like just me and the dogs. <laughs> yeah. But you guys don't mind, right? <laughs> but like I can get amongst the mustard and the garlic and the blue cheese on a daily basis and hardly anyone's going to complain <laughs> about it. Right. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, Jack, what did you learn this week? So unsurprisingly, mine's related to food as well. And I've always known that sauerkraut has existed. Oh, it's been something that's part of this world. And uh, I've never really tried it before, even though I know that it's, uh, I mean, it's not a super, I don't like the word superfood, but it's not, uh, it's not going to save your life. It's not going to cure cancer, mm-hmm. but there may be some benefits in regards to the probiotic component mm-hmm. of sauerkraut because it's fermented. And I think the fermented aspect has always turned me off a little bit. But I ended up buying some this week and yeah, I enjoy it. So I just bought one which was 
uh, fermented uh, cabbage and carrot. Mm-hmm. And they did that in, they, I think they used lactic acid bacteria. And I, yeah, it's, it's pretty decent, better than I was expecting. And I'll probably continue to eat it. Yeah, man. <laughs> Very low calories. Guys, I'm... come to the TBD fridge. <laughs> like, it's full of flavor, but kind of, you know, you get a big... A Especially big, that whoop! blue cheese. That's the worst. <laughs> man, but oh God, I feel like my palate, I just love strong flavors. Like I can't go back to things that are just really bland. Like something like mozzarella cheese. Like egg whites? No, I but I flavor it up with <laughs> garlic and mustard and blue cheese. So... Yeah, but I just can't go back to just super bland foods. No, never again. Cool. Yeah. (laughs) Well, thank you for listening, guys. Again, if you enjoyed this episode, please remember to share it. Tag myself, tag Tierra, tag TBD. And we'll see you for Road to 2023 in a few days.